The Global IP Matrix Magazine Issue 15. Front Cover Text. Anti-counterfeiting measures in the Caribbean. Artificial intelligence applications in healthcare. The advancement of women, and other minorities, in IP. Global IP Matrix interview with INTA CEO Etienne Sons de Acedo. The pre-grant opposition a gate blocker or a genuine patent stopper. The new law. The UAE continues to enhance the safety of the IP environment. Headlined by, L.S. Devar and Company, India. Enforcing a patent right in India. Dr. Joshita Devar Kemani, Managing Partner and Principal Attorney at Law, L.S. Devar and Co., India. Front Cover Strip Advertisement. Patent Seekers Front Cover Strip Advert. Patent Seekers. The Global Patent Searchers. International Patent and Design Search Company. Website, www.patentseekers.com. Email, info at patentseekers.com. Telephone plus 4416338166601. Page 2. Inside Front Cover Advertisement. The Global IP Matrix Magazine. IP News Direct from Industry Thought Leaders. Analysis reports on innovation, IP trends, legislation, IP strategy, trademark law, patent law, copyright law, brand protection, trade secrets plus much more. Contact us today to share your industry news stories. Email info at gipmatrix.com or call plus 44 www.gipmatrix.com Page 3. Editor's Note and Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited Company Credits. Dear readers, I want to start this first edition of 2023 by wishing our readers a happy new year. We hope you all had a lovely festive holiday with your nearest and dearest and are ready to take on 2023 positively. This first edition of the Global IP Matrix magazine in January 2023 will be delivered to you by some of the industry's most respected thought leaders. Headlining this issue, Dr. Joshita Devar Kemani and co-authors from LS Devar & Co. in India have written an informative piece on enforcing a patent right in India. We also have a newcomer to our magazine, Keisha Fleming-Lake, from Complete Intellectual Property Services in Anguilla. Keisha and Complete IP Services sponsor our new segment, Empowering the Future of IP in Anguilla and the Caribbean, which will be rolled out throughout the year to shine a spotlight on IP in the Caribbean countries. We want to welcome our new 2023 editorial board members, Mladen Vukma, from Vukma and Associates, LLC in Croatia. Laura Coleda, Managing Partner at Dumont in Mexico. Max Montero, Partner at Johansson and Lane Royce, Chile. Sara Norka Anku, from Anku Anku at Law in Ghana. Keisha Fleming Lake from Complete Intellectual Property Services in Anguilla, and Ray ZHAO, LLM, Senior Partner, Head of the International Trademark Team and Attorney at Law at Unitalan Attorneys at Law in China to the magazine. As always, this edition has something for everyone working in the IP industry and we hope that you enjoy this first edition of 2023. Elvin Hassan The Global IP Matrix magazine is published by Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited in London, United Kingdom. Carlos Northern 
CEO and founder, Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited, publisher of the Global IP Matrix and Women's IP World. Carlos at northernsprmarketing.com. Elvin Hassan. Editor for the Global IP Matrix and Women's IP World, Head of International Liaisons for Women's IP World. Elvin at womensipworld.com. Craig Barber. Head of Design, The Global IP Matrix and Women's IP World. Info at northernsprmarketing.com. Ashling Lenehan. Marketing and Creative Design. Northerns IP Media PR and Marketing Limited. Publisher of the Global IP Matrix Magazine and the Women's IP World. Ashling at northernsprmarketing.com. Page 4. The Global IP Matrix Magazine 2023 Editorial Board Members. Mlodin Vukma. EU Trademark and Patent Agent at Vukma Attorneys at Law, Croatia. Sarah Norka Anku. Senior Partner, Head of IP, Company and Commercial Law at Anku Anku at Law, Ghana. Keisha Fleming Lake. Managing Attorney at Complete Intellectual Property Services, Anguilla. Max Montero. Partner at Johansson and Lane Royce, Chile. Ray ZHAO, LLM, Senior Partner, Head of the International Trademark Team and Attorney at Law. Unitalan Attorneys at Law, China. Laura Coleda. Managing Partner at Dumont, Mexico. Page 5. The Global IP Matrix Magazine Contents Page. Copyright News. Page 9. The Battle to Protect Musical Works in Sri Lanka, a brief overview of emerging issues in the modern era. Anomi Wanagasekara, partner, and Sabira Sharif, senior associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Patent News and Stories. Page 11. The pre-grant opposition a gate blocker or a genuine patent stopper. Mr. D. P. S. Palmer, former technical member, Patents, erstwhile Intellectual Property Appellate Board Special Counsel at Lexorbis, India. Page 17. Artificial Intelligence Applications in Healthcare. Geraint James, Senior IP Manager at Patent Seekers and Pat World, UK. Page 21. Enforcing a Patent Right in India. Co-authors, Dr. Joshita Deva Kemani, Managing Partner and Principal Attorney at Law. Mr. Sonal Mishra, Director, Patent Attorney and IP Specialist, Mrs. Osta Sharma, Senior Patent Attorney and IP Specialist at LS Devar & Co., India. Page 25. Satisfying the written description requirement, applying the statute's plain text or additional atextual interpretation. Anshul Bharti, Associate Vice President at Ashma IP, India. Women's IP World Bite Size Segment sponsored by Dumont. Page 31. The Advancement of Women and Other Minorities in IP. Written by Laura Coleda, Managing Partner at Dumont, Mexico. Page 35. Guidance on the Application and Use of Class 35 Service Marks. Ray Jow, LLM, Senior Partner, Head of the International Trademark Team, Attorney at Law and Trademark Attorney at Unitalan Attorneys at Law. Patent. Trademark and Copyright, China. Page 37. Ambush Marketing, 
How did the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 protect itself against this practice? Eileen Castillo Sepulveda, founding partner at INNVNTIVA Espacio Legal, Dominican Republic. Page 41. The new law. The UAE continues to enhance the safety of the IP environment. Jihad Ol Hassan, CEO at JAH Intellectual Property, Doha, Qatar. Empowering the future of IP in Anguilla and the Caribbean segment sponsored by Complete Intellectual Property Services. Page 47. Anti-counterfeiting measures in the Caribbean. Keisha Fleming Lake, Managing Attorney at Complete Intellectual Property Services, Anguilla. Conference Corner Segment, INTA 2023. Page 52. Global IP Matrix Interview with INTA CEO Etienne Sons de Acedo. Page 6. Contributors to Issue 15 of the Global IP Matrix Magazine. Anomi Wanigasakura. Partner at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Sabira Sharif. Senior Associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. D.P.S. Palmer. Former Technical Member. Patents, Astwal Intellectual Property Appellate Board Special Counsel at Lex Orbis, India. Geraint James. Senior IP Manager at Patent Seekers and Patworld, UK. Dr. Joshita Devarkamani. Managing Partner and Principal Attorney at Law at LS Devar & Co., India. Sonal Mishra. Director, Patent Attorney and IP Specialist at LS Devar & Co., India. Ostha Sharma. Senior Patent Attorney and IP Specialist at LS Devar & Co., India. Anshul Bharti, Associate. Vice President at Ashma IP, India. Laura Coleda. Managing Partner at Dumont, Mexico. Ray Zhao. LLM, Senior Partner, Head of the International Trademark Team, Attorney at Law and Trademark Attorney at Unitalan Attorneys at Law, Patent. Trademark and Copyright, China. Arlene Castillo Sepulveda. Founding partner at INNVNTIVA Espacio Legal, Dominican Republic. Jihad Ol Hassan. CEO at JAH Intellectual Property, Doha, Qatar. Keisha Fleming Lake. Managing attorney at Complete Intellectual Property Services, Anguilla. Etienne Sons de Acedo. International Trademark Association, INTA, CEO. Page 7. Advertisements. Advert 1. Mark Inventor Intellectual Property Services. Your intellectual property agent in Eastern Europe and Asia. European Patent and Trademark Attorneys. Trademarks, Patents, Assignment, Industrial Designs, Opinions, Oppositions, Patent Annuities, Renewal Designs, Renewal Trademarks. Contact Details. Mark Inventor Company. Limited. Intellectual Property Services. Glinska Ulica 14. 1000 Ljubljana. Slovenia. Phone, plus 3861426650303. Fax, plus 3861251050508. Phone, Plus 3861540 Fax, plus 3861524318. Email, 
office at mark-inventor.si. Advert 2. Deep and far attorneys at law since 1992. IP Right Prosecution and Litigation Corporate Legal and Consulting IP Value Added Services. Focus, Patents, Trademarks, Copyrights, Trade Secrets, Unfair Competition Licensing, Counseling, Litigation, Transaction. Territories, Taiwan, Mainland China, Hong Kong, and Macau. Fields, Mechanics, Chemistry, Pharmacy, Biology, Electronics, Optics, Telecommunications, and Computer Sciences since 1992. Address, 13th Floor, 27, Sector 3, Chung San N, Road, Taipei, Taiwan. Telephone, 886-2-2585668867 Fax, 886-2-2598-9900259789890 Email, email at deepnfar.com.tw Website, www.deepnfar.com.tw Advert 3 United Trademark and Patent Service Intellectual Property Attorneys your reliable partners for intellectual property matters in Pakistan, South Asia, Arabian Gulf Middle East and Africa. Trademark, patent, design, copyright, domain name registration, litigation and enforcement law. Regional Head Office. Suites 401-402, Al Hawaii Tower, Sheikh Zayed Road, Dubai, UAE. Telephone plus 971, 4. 343754 Fax plus 971 4343 People, Integrity, Service. Nigeria, Angola, OAPI. Safeguarding IP in Africa. Services. Intellectual property, media, entertainment, technology, sports, and litigation. Second floor, 11 Awolo Road, Ikoi, Lagos. P.O. Box 56161, Ikoi, 101008. Lagos, Nigeria. Tell, 234, 0, 1754, 1754, 0, 1 for 1754, Page 9. Article. The Battle to Protect Musical Works in Sri Lanka, A Brief Overview of Emerging Issues in the Modern Era. Written by Anomi Wanigasekara, partner, and Sabira Sharif, Senior Associate at Julius and Creasy, Sri Lanka. Digitization has made it much easier to manipulate, reproduce, and distribute protected works, one Sri Lanka is no exception, and with the rapid growth of the music industry striking a balance between the rights of the authors, the legitimate interest of the users of such creations and the hindrance to the development of the creative music industry are very important. 
The Intellectual Property Act, no. 36 of 2003, IP Act, govern all intellectual property rights in Sri Lanka, including copyrights. Sri Lanka is a contracting party to the Berne Convention for the Protection of Literary and Artistic Works, the first international instrument on copyright and also the TRIPS Agreement. Hence, the works of Sri Lankan authors are protected in all the member countries of the Berne Convention, and the national law of the particular country is applicable. Copyright means the rights given by law to the creators for their literary and artistic works. Generally, the creators are entitled to economic rights and moral rights for their original intellectual works. While economic rights include the right to reproduce, sell, rent, distribute, communicate to the public, translate etc., moral rights cover the right to claim the authorship and the right to oppose distortion or mutilation of the work. Point two in Sri Lanka, registration of copyright is not required to obtain protection and is subject to limitations provided in the IP Act. Copyright will be protected during the lifetime of the author and for a further period of 70 years from the date of his death. Point three. Accordingly, musical works, with or without accompanying words, are protected for in a backdrop where songs are tilted as cover songs, five generally uploaded on digital platforms such as YouTube and other social media have become very popular and common in the present context. Protection of the rights of the original performers and liabilities of these digital platforms, technically termed intermediaries, have become a hot topic of discussion. Protection of the rights of authors in their original musical works, when used in reality shows and concerts, is also very much appropriate in the present context, as striking a balance between copyrights and the development of the music industry is essential. Jake D. Fernando vs. Wasif Chandra Sisri Gamalath. In the decided case of J. D. Fernando vs. Wasif Chandrasisri Gamalath 6 which was an appeal from the judgment of the Commercial High Court of Colombo where the issue arose by the defendant, including a song called Pinsuduan in a teledrama titled Mal Kekulak without the due authorization of the plaintiff, who was the widow of the copyright holder. The plaintiff claimed infringement of copyrights on the composition of the said song in terms of section 19. 1. Of the Code of Intellectual Property Act No. 52 of 1979. It was held that the plaintiff had the rights for the musical composition under the act, and it will be clear that the use of the said composition by the defendant without permission was an infringement of the rights of the plaintiff. In the said case, the court also held that with the advancement in technology, it is very easy to copy works of original artists, composers, singers, etc. However, as in the present instance, there must be a way of safeguarding the rights of the original artists, such as the singer. Especially when a singer has achieved a reputation which will be recognized for generations and generations. Once such recognition has been there and acquired rights which, according to the law, can be inherited. The works of such original reputed artists such as singers can be used by others only by obtaining permission from the original artist or from those who inherit such rights which amount to a recognition of the fame and reputation of the original singer. Piracy in Sri Lanka Notably, piracy is a significant issue in contemporary music in Sri Lanka. This is a major issue for the music industry because no electronic platforms, social media platforms, or public performance organizers pay any royalties to the original artists. These issues have become a topic of discussion, 
especially upon the hit song Menike Mage Hythe. As per the current standing, if anyone wishes to do a cover version of a song, it is mandatory to obtain a regular form of license from the owner of the copyright. However, one could argue that this may not be a healthy regime for the progress of the music industry, given the rapid development in the music industry and owing to the growth of talent and the infusion of technological advancement to it. The advanced principles in copyright law stipulate the protection of the creator at the same time, not to act to stifle creativity. 7. However, it is noted that YouTube has adopted a particular system which rewards publishers for having artists cover their songs. At the same time, the owners can also choose whether a cover will be taken down removed if their licensing requirements are unmet. The lacuna is that while YouTube has such a system, other social media sites and service providers are yet to introduce such a system. On the other hand, there are laws in force in many other countries to limit the liability of an internet service provider, ISP, for the infringement of copyright that takes place on its networks. An ISP in Sri Lanka may not enjoy the same privilege for the infringement of unauthorized material initiated by its users or third parties on their networks. The current law is unlikely to provide adequate protection for the legitimate activities of ISPs in an attempt to minimize the vulnerability against copyright infringement claims. In the process of protecting the interests of ISPs, the legitimate interests of copyright holders should also be safeguarded. It will be necessary to strike a balance between the rights of copyright owners and ISPs.8. It is also important that although proper and consistent royalty payments for broadcasts are still inoperative, there are legislative measures taken to order for minimum payment to be paid as a royalty to a lyricist, musician or singer in respect of broadcasting once on the radio of a song or musical work or lyrics or any substantial part. In respect of telecasting once on television a song or musical work or lyrics or any substantial part thereof.9 in Sri Lanka, the authors composers and Publishers Organization of Sri Lanka, ACPO, and the Outstanding Song Creators Association, OSCA, are the two organizations functioning as collective management organizations. CMOs. Therefore, while new reforms to the present-day copyright law in Sri Lanka to overcome these issues are needed, balancing the creative youth of the country while upholding the rights of the original creators is essential. Same pages. Advertisement. Chandra Kontem Joshi. Leading Indian IPR law firm. Established in 1968. Solitaire 2, 7th floor, OPP. Infinity Mall, Link Road, Malad West, Mumbai, 40064. Patents and Trademark Search, Patent and Trademark Watch, Registration, Post Registration and Infringement ECT for Patent, Trademarks, Design and Copyright. Translation of Patent Specification, Franchise and Joint Venture Agreements, Cyber Law, Mergers and Acquisitions. Tell, plus 912228886858. Fax, plus 912228886859. Email. Patents at cmjoshi.com or cmjoshi at cmjoshi.com. Website, www.cmjoshi.com. Contact person, Mr. Hirol Chandrakant Joshi. Page 11. Article. The pre-grant opposition a gate blocker or a genuine patent stopper. Written by Mr. D. P. S. Palmer, former technical member, 
Patents, Erstwhile Intellectual Property Appellate Board Special Counsel at Lexorbis, India. When the Patent Act 1970 was amended in 2002, a third-party patent stopper opportunity was provided to any person whether he is a person interested or not, as defined by Section 2, T, of the Act. By providing this opportunity, even before the examination of the application, the patent statute opened a gateway for flooding the patent office with multiple oppositions on a single patent. The legislative intent for introducing this pre-grant opposition was to assist the patent office in improving the quality of the examination process so that only genuine and deserving invention patent applications get the award of a patent. Third-party intervention under Section 27. It is not uncommon to find such a pre-grant opportunity made available to the third party to challenge the grant of a patent before the controller. This provision is similar to the then-deleted provision under Section 27 in many ways. In the erstwhile provision under Section 27, the third-party intervention was limited to the supply of information to the controller in anticipation of the invention, and the third-party role was limited to only an informer. The third party under Section 27 was not made a party to the patent grant process as the controller was free to reject or accept the information while granting or refusing the patent. The third party had no right to appeal against the rejection of their information if the controller ruled that such information was not relevant. Interestingly, the number of such third party interventions was few, and the IPO never witnessed the flooding of one application with multiple informers challenging the grant of one patent application. Section 27 remained the safety valve for the grant of patents for invention for almost 35 years, where anonymous information relating to the anticipation was brought to the controller's knowledge before the grant of the patent. Section 27 read as 27. Refusal of a patent without opposition. If at any time after the acceptance of the complete specification filed in pursuance of an application for a patent and before the grant of a patent thereon it comes to the notice of the controller otherwise than in consequence of proceedings in opposition to the grant under section 25, that the invention, so far as claimed in any claim of the complete specification, has been published before the priority date of the claim. A. In any specification filed in pursuance of an application for a patent made in India and dated on or after the first day of January 1912. B. In any other document in India or elsewhere, the controller may refuse to grant the patent unless, within such time as may be prescribed, the complete specification is amended to his satisfaction. Provided that the controller shall not refuse to grant the patent on the ground specified in clause. B. If the such publication does not constitute an anticipation of the invention by virtue of subsection 2 or subsection 3 of section 29. Misuse of the pre-grant representation s. 25. 1. When the pre-grant provision was introduced in 2002 under section 25, 1, it was limited to only four grounds. However, in 2005 the grounds of the pre-grant intervention were increased to cover all the grounds matching the post-grant opposition. The intent of the legislation was clear by increasing the grounds to allow only genuine inventions to pass through the patent office examination procedure for the grant. The controller's power to either seek to amend or refuse an application for a patent remained unaltered. Still, the grounds of the representation were enlarged to cover every ground on which a regular opposition could be filed under Section 25, 2. This preemptive provision, 
without incurring any cost, attracted multiple opponents, person interested or otherwise, to file multiple representations in series one after another, thus leading to unwarranted misuse. In DR. Miss, Snailata Gupta vs Union of India and Oars. Humble Delhi High Court came down heavily on such practice and ruled that there is a need to discourage the filing of serial oppositions. Need to discourage the filing of serial oppositions. 62. Accepting the submissions of pre-grant opposers in the present batch of cases that till such time the grant of a patent is not entered in the register, and notwithstanding that an order has already been passed on file by the controller granting a patent, they can continue to file the pre-grant representations in terms of section 25. 1. Might result in the W, P, C, numbers. 3516. 3517, 5422, 5423 of 2007 and 10399, 10400 and 10450 of 2009 and 1020 of 2010 page 34 of 40 phenomena of serial oppositions, as has happened in the case of the applications filed opposing the patent supplied for by J. Mitra and Company. Within a day after the controller rejected the pre-grant opposition filed by SDL, Dr. Gupta filed a pre-grant opposition. Soon thereafter, Dr. Rindani filed his pre-grant opposition. In other words, if this court were to hold that the date of the grant of a patent is only the date on which the factum of such a grant is entered in the register, then there would be no end to the filing of pre-grant oppositions as long as on account of some delay on the administrative side the factum of the grant of a patent is not entered in the register. Given the scheme of the Act and the number of hurdles an applicant for a grant of a patent has to overcome, even if the application is found to be in order for grant, it is not possible to accept the interpretation put forth by the pre-grant opposers. This court order thus applied a break on the possible misuse of the process of law by rejecting the serial application filed by Dr. Gupta and Dr. Rindani in this case. The court ruled that the filing of the pre-grant opposition by Dr. Gupta and Dr. Rindani subsequent to 23 August 2006 was, apart from being not maintainable in law, also an abuse of the process of law. It dismissed all for it petitions with imposing costs. 68. Notwithstanding the above conclusion, this court also holds that the filing of the pre-grant opposition by Dr. Gupta and Dr. Rindani subsequent to 23 August 2006 was, apart from being not maintainable in law, also an abuse of the process of law. This court is not convinced of the bona fide of either of the petitioners. There has yet to be any effective denial of the fact that both petitioners were associated with SDL in some capacity or the other. It is impossible to comprehend that either of these W.P. C. Numbers. 3516, 3517, 5422, 5423 of 2007 and 10399, 10400 and 10450 of 2009 and 1020 of 2010 page 37 of 40 petitioners was unaware of the fact that the filing of the pre-grant opposition by SDL or of the fact that it has been taken up for consideration by the controller of patents or of the fact that the order on such pre-grant opposition was pending. 69. Even according to these petitioners, the community of those interested in developing the test kits is small, and every step taken by each competitor would be known to the other. This itself belies the fact that either Dr. Gupta or Dr. Rindani was unaware of the pre-grant oppositions already filed by SDL in relation to the patent applications of J. Mitra and Company.
The long history of litigation between the parties creates further doubts on the bona fide of these two petitioners. 70. For all of the above reasons, this court finds absolutely no merit in the Furit petition. C. Numbers 3516, 3517, 5422 and 5423 of 2007 in the first set, and they are dismissed with costs of RS. 20. 000 each which each of the petitioners will pay to J. Mitra and company. Within a period of four weeks. Multiple third-party interventions under section 25. 1. Contrary to the erstwhile section 27 invention, the intervener under section 25. 1. Is now made a party to the proceedings before the controller, and he gets an opportunity to file evidence and be heard before the controller takes any decision on the application. This led to flooding the patent office with multiple representations before the controller for even a single application. It also prompted the filing of strawman Benami opposition in some cases. In one case, the controller rejected the application as Benami, and on appeal, the Bombay High Court came down heavily on the pre-grant intervener. The Voldiora vs Union of India and Ors on 5 November 2020, in this case, the High Court rejected the appeal with costs and ruled that the appellant is engaged in filing proxy pre-grant oppositions multiple times on behalf of one person and observed. By enlarging the locus standee under Section 25, 1, the legislature intends to bring transparency in the proceedings before the controller. Patents confer a monopoly of use. Some monopolies could be detrimental to welfare measures for the masses. The widened locus standee now permits any person, including researchers, and non-governmental organizations, to oppose a patent application by submitting information to the controller in the interest of the society. Looking at the petitioner's annexed opposition under Section 25, 1, the court observed that the petitioner has raised detailed grounds stating various scientific facts. The obvious question is how the petitioner has intricate knowledge of pharmaceutical compounds when he is a businessman engaged in the diamond business. Considering the totality of the circumstances, we have serious doubt about the credentials of the petitioner and find merit in charge of respondent number for that the petitioner is a habitual frontman put up by those who intend only to delay the grant of patents. Speaking on the conduct of the petition, the court ruled that. 36. The conduct of the petitioner in. We agree with the contention of respondent number for that the conduct of the petitioner is an abuse of the process of law. Speaking on the object of section 25, 1, court observed that. The object of the amending act of 2005 is to simplify and rationalize the procedure of granting patents. The appellate board noted that due to the delay in proceedings, several appeals are being withdrawn either because applications have expired or because interveners have lost interest. The appellate board referred to cases where after the expiry of 19 years and 7 months, when four months were left for the expiry of the patent, the appellate board had granted it. The appellate board has also noted cases where 18 years have expired, and the patent is yet to be granted. Taking note of the IPAB concerns on the Benami opposition, the court, while rejecting the pre-grant opposition, imposed a cost of RS 25,000 on the petitioner and ruled that. The appellate board has cautioned against the rising tendency of filing of Benami oppositions to prevent the competitor from patenting its invention. Taking note of these concerns, we are of the opinion, in view of the conduct of the petitioner, 
that costs need to be imposed on the petitioner to send a message that the valuable right given under Section 25, 1, of the Act must not be abused. Cautionary Remark The legislative intent of the Amending Act of 2005 is to simplify and rationalize the procedure of granting patents. This amendment in opposition procedure replaced the less popular anonymous informer approach under Section 27, which was dropped by Section 24 of the Patents Amendment Act 2005, with effect from 1 January 2005. In its place, a new elaborate provision under Sector 25, 1, of the amending Act of 2005 was inserted to allow pre-grant representation by any person before the grant of the patent with many other grounds including the erstwhile ground of anticipation. When the question of serial oppositions and Ben-Amy Strawman oppositions were presented to the court for adjudication Indian courts imposed costs on the opponents ruling these practices as an abuse of the legal provision. When IPAB in OA 2016 P.T. Mum condemned the filing of the Ben-Amy opposition by the Voldiora, the Bombay High Court, rejecting the appeal, imposed costs on the petitioner thus giving a cautionary message to all pre-grant opponents to desist from adopting such practices. The courts in India are alive to deal with such misuse of the process of law. We can expect more such decisions if the pre-grant opponent indulges in practices like filing serial oppositions or strawman Ben-Amy oppositions. The Indian courts being custodians to preserve the intent of the legislature that widens the locus standi under the amended section 25, 1, would see to it that the pre-grant representation under Section 25, 1, does not create an unbridled individual right as such but to create a channel of easy access for any person to assist the controller in taking a well-informed decision in contested patent applications. However, the legislature did not intend to create a right of the pre-grant representation to facilitate the abuse of the process of law. Suppose any such abuse is noticed, as in the The Voldiora case, where the court questioned how a businessman engaged in the diamond business supposedly had intricate knowledge of pharmaceutical compounds. In that case, the court can stem the abuse by rejecting the opposition and imposing costs as a deterrent. Expert advice would be beneficial to those seeking to file the pre-grant opposition to check the implications of the cases discussed before initiating filing the pre-grant opposition in India. Last but not least, the object of the pre-grant opposition should remain grounded to assist the controller as a genuine patent stopper, and in no case should the pre-grant opposition process turn into a gate blocker in the hands of opponents. Page 15. Advertisement. Lexorbis. Intellectual property attorneys. Your most trusted IP partner. New Delhi, Mumbai, Bengaluru. Website www.lexorbis.com Email, mail at lexorbis.com Telephone Plus 9111-237-16565 Page 16 Conference Advertisement Istanbul, AIPPI, 2023 2023, AIPPI, Istanbul 22nd of October until the 25th of October 2023. Hilton, Istanbul, the Monte Hotel and Conference Center. Hashtag AIPPI World Congress. Page 17. Article. Disclaimer. Images relating to this article can only be seen in the print and digital versions of this publication. 
Artificial Intelligence Applications in Healthcare. Written by Durant James, Senior IP Manager at Patent Seekers and Patworld, UK. Author bio Durant James is a Senior IP Manager at Patent Seekers Limited and is an expert in patent search and analysis across multiple disciplines, specializing in freedom to operate, invalidity and patent landscape searching. He is involved in thousands of searches for international patent attorneys in private practice, in-house and for major blue-chip companies. Using his expertise, Durant has also helped develop Patworld, a global patent search database. Patworld has been designed to include all the tools required for a professional patent search, with an intuitive user interface and tools for use by searchers of any level of expertise. Introduction Artificial intelligence, AI, is becoming more present in society, with wide-ranging applications from speech recognition to self-driving vehicles. While there may be debate around the ethical and moral consequences of some AI applications, one area that will undoubtedly benefit is healthcare. AI has the potential to revolutionize healthcare with applications in several areas, including diagnostics, predicting treatment responses and therapy research. The advent of highly accurate, rapid, on-demand diagnostic assessments, coupled with new targeted delivery of new therapies, could help reduce treatment waiting times, detect diseases at an early stage and improve outcomes. This article will explore the patent landscape surrounding AI in healthcare using Patworld, a global patent search database. Method A dataset was generated by searching AI keywords, including synonyms such as machine learning, neural networks and deep learning, within the A61 medical or veterinary science, hygiene classification. Patents applications were analyzed using Patworld software to generate charts and graphs used in the report. Filing trends. AI use in healthcare is a relatively new and emerging field that has seen nearly exponential growth in recent years, figure. 1. Priority filings appear to increase significantly from 2015 NB. Priority filings from 2021 and 2022 were not included as these figures may be inaccurate due to applications yet to be published claiming priority in these years. Figure 1, earliest priority year vs the number of patent families for AI in healthcare. The main area of innovation appears to be in diagnostics. Figure 2 depicts a pie chart of the top CPC classifications in the area. A 61B500 measuring for diagnostic purposes appears to be the most prevalent classification, followed by G16H5020 for computer-aided diagnosis. Figure 2 also shows a 61B57267 and 7264, which are related to classification of physiological signals or data, e.g. Using neural networks, statistical classifiers, expert systems or fuzzy systems and several G classifications that are related to AI in general. There appear to be several areas within diagnostics where AI could be implemented, some of which include online diagnostic tool using a patient questionnaire, US10 for 78112B2, Harvard College. Deep learning-based diagnosis of lung disorders from X-ray images, US202104291681, AI Tech and the Regents of the University of California. Rapid Assessment and Outcome Analysis Using Machine Learning Classifiers, US1082516-7B2, Siemens Healthcare. Figure 2, 
CPC classification versus number of patent families. Assignee and territory analysis. Figure 3 shows the top 10 assignees and their portfolio size in the top 10 publication application territories. China, US and EP have a significant number of publications, with Siemens Healthcare and Koning Clicky Phillips having the largest portfolios. There is a mix of assignees from different backgrounds, some originating from healthcare, e.g. Siemens Healthcare, and others from the broader computer science area, e.g. IBM. Figure 3, Assignee versus Publication Territory. AI in Research. Interestingly, IBM appears to have filed an application for an AI training mechanism to develop an AI-based medical solution, US 2020027530A1. Using AI to discover new therapies or assist in the development of existing therapies could help streamline the clinical workflow of drug development by reducing development timelines and assisting in clinical trials. Issues surrounding AI in healthcare Although the application of AI in healthcare has the potential to drastically improve therapeutic outcomes, there are several ethical challenges surrounding its use. Some of these include the accuracy and safety of AI, the lack of responsibility and accountability, consent to use patient data and fairness. As seen in US 1082516-7B2, Siemens Healthcare, AI can be implemented in patient outcome prediction and triaging. In cases where AI is used in triaging, the algorithms could be trained to provide clinical care as efficiently as possible to maximize overall patient survival using the resources available at the time. However, efforts should be made to ensure that groups of patients are treated fairly and without bias, e.g. patients suffering from a terminal illness. This can be seen in the patent literature, with roughly a third of publications with triage in the text also disclosing fairness, bias, moral or ethic keywords. Summary. From the patent data, it is clear that AI in healthcare is a rapidly developing technology area with a wide range of applications. Assignees from the healthcare sector and wider AI area are both active across several territories. Although the current main application appears to be in diagnostics, there are several other areas where AI could be implemented, some with more ethical challenges than others. If these ethical challenges can be overcome, AI could pose a significant advancement to modern healthcare. Page 20. Advertisement. Patworld is an innovative and cost-effective patent search tool developed by specialists to meet the needs of the industry. The core of Patworld centers around an intuitive search form providing you with all the tools required to extract and analyze the results you need from over 115 million indexed patent documents covering multiple territories and languages. We have drawn on over 100 years of combined patent searching experience to develop tools and features that allow you to archive the most from your searches. Simple to use, customize view, save search history, share folders, language translation tool, flexible payment options. Email for further info. Your access to the world of patents. Search 115 plus million patent documents. Head Office UK. Email sales at patworld.com. North America Office. Email salesna at patworld.com www.patworld.com Page 21. Article. Enforcing a Patent Right in India. Co-authors, Dr. Joshita Devakamani, 
Managing Partner and Principal Attorney at Law, Mr. Sonal Mishra, Director, Patent Attorney and IP Specialist, Mrs. Osta Sharma, Senior Patent Attorney and IP Specialist at L.S. Deva & Co., India. A strong patent regime is one of the essential pillars for the growing economy of any country. India has realized the importance of having powerful intellectual property, IP, accordingly, the government of India is putting rigorous efforts into aligning its policies and systems to grow its IP ecosystem. The said efforts have materialized in the exponential growth of India in the Innovation Index, its global ranking, the number of domestic and international patent filings, and the grant of patent applications. As per the published data, India has seen a 50% increase in patent filings in the last seven years, has much reduced backlogs at the patent office, and has increased awareness of the IP among different strata of society due to numerous campaigns and training by Department of Promotion of Industry and Internal Trade, DPIIT, and the patent offices. A nearly fivefold increase is seen in the grant of patents in 2021-2022 compared to 2014-15. It is evident from the available figures that India is moving towards creating a robust IP ecosystem to boom India's position over the globe. However, the robust IP not only includes efficient processing of patent applications at the patent office or fostering innovations or reducing the backlog of pending applications, but also includes a bona fide process of enforcing patent rights once the patent application is proceeded to grant. This article shall now discuss in detail the laws and authorities governing patent enforcement rights in India. Laws governing the enforcement of patent rights. The laws governing the enforcement of patent rights are as follows. Statutory law. The Patents Act 1970 and the rules therein govern the patent rights of the patentee. The Indian government is constantly putting efforts into amending rules to strengthen the patent process and its ecosystem. Court decisions, the prior judgments decisions precedents play an important role while adjudicating the matter. The Indian courts consider judgments case laws from the superior courts or other jurisdictions that have dealt with similar situations that act as a guiding light to conclude a current case. International treaties, India is a part of various international treaties that have laid a basic framework for its member countries to follow when dealing with issues related to intellectual property matters. During the conflict of interest, the above order is the priority of the order during adjudication. Judicial Quasi-Judicial Authorities The authorities that adjudicate the patent-related disputes are as follows. Patent Offices The examination and processing of patent applications are carried out at the Patent Offices of India. India has four patent offices, Delhi, Mumbai, Kolkata, and Chennai. The controllers appointed at the patent offices also handle patent opposition matters. The procedures of the patent offices are based on the Patents Act 1970 and its rules therein. District Courts, as per Section 104 of the Patents Act, the initiation of an infringement suit is made at the District Courts. High Courts, as per recent amendments to the Patent Act, the Intellectual Property Appellate Board, IPAB, was dissolved in April 2021. A special division has been made in the High Courts to deal with the appeals arising from the controller's decisions and revocation proceedings. The said division has already been made at the Delhi and Kolkata High Courts, and such divisions are yet to be made for other jurisdictions. Further, the High Courts adjudicate the infringement proceedings.
Supreme Court, once the matter is adjudicated at the high court level, the aggrieved can appeal at the highest authority, i.e., the Supreme Court of India. Different types of orders provided by the courts. The different types of orders that are passed by courts while adjudicating the patent enforcement rights of the patentees are as follows. Interlocutory injunction, it is also termed an interim injunction. The judge may pass an interim injunction to prevent the defendant party from doing acts that might amount to infringement till the final determination of the case. Permanent injunction, once the case is adjudicated and the party is held accountable, then the court may order to refrain the party from carrying out activities considered infringement in India. Damages, the court may order payment of royalties or reimbursement of profits to the plaintiff that the defendant receives by carrying out infringing activities. Seize or destruction of goods, the court may appoint a local commissioner to seize or destroy the infringing goods. Freezing goods, the court may order to freeze goods that shall refrain the defendants not to destroy the goods amounting to infringement till the case is adjudicated. Procedure and timelines for patent enforcement suits. The following procedures and timelines are to be followed while filing the patent infringement suits. Plaint and interim injunction applications are to be filed at the institution of the suit. In every plaint, facts are to be proved by an affidavit. Once a suit is duly instituted, summon is issued to the defendants to appear and respond to the claims and to file a written statement containing the defendant's defense, if any. The statement of defense, written statement, and reply to the interim injunction application has to be filed within 120 days of such summon. The plaintiff is allowed to file a rejoinder to the defendant's reply to the interim application and replication of the statement filed by the defendant. Counterclaim challenging the validity of the suit patent is to be prepared by the defendants and filed within two to three weeks after filing of the written statement. The authorized signatory would be required to execute documents. A hearing is appointed to respond to the interim injunction. On the next date before the court, the court will hear the plaintiff's case for granting ad interim injunctions, restraining the defendant from using the subject patent up to the determination of the plaintiff's interim injunction application. Determination of interim injunctions usually takes six to eight months and is post-completion of pleadings between the parties. The plaintiff may also be granted an ex-party injunction depending on the facts of the case. To grant such an ad interim injunction, the court will determine if there is a prima facie case the balance of convenience is in favour of the plaintiff irreparable injury harm is likely to be caused to the plaintiff if the injunction is not granted if the defendant has set out a credible challenge against the validity of the suit patent. Further, the procedures and timelines for such suits are strictly governed by the Commercial Courts Act of 2015. The said act also ensures heavy penalties and strict actions in case of non-adherence. Furthermore, to avoid frivolous suits, the courts have recently taken the view that the plaintiffs must carry out appropriate investigations before filing the suit. This has increased the significance of investigators' affidavits or expert evidence at the stage of determination of interim injunction. A recent patent enforcement case. The Indian government recognizes the importance of speedy disposal of patent infringement suits, revocation proceedings, or appeal matters. Therefore, the Commercial Courts, Commercial Appellate Division of High Court 2015, and Intellectual Property Division, IPD, were introduced to expedite the litigation matters. 
The following are some of the patent-related cases that the High Court has recently adjudicated. FMC Corporation vs. Natco Pharma Limited, CS, Com, 349-2022. The suit was filed for seeking a decree of permanent injunction against the defendant from infringing the patent rights of the plaintiffs under the patent no. 298645, Iron 645, by using directly or indirectly any processes covered by the said patent granted by the controller of patents, in favor of the plaintiffs on 6 December 2005. Based on the findings coupled with the specification of Iron 645 and the detailed description therein, in the prima facie view, sulfonyl chloride, more particularly, methanesulfonyl chloride, is an essential and integral part of the suit patent. The settled law for determining the question of infringement is that it has to be kept in mind that non-essential or trifling variations in the allegedly infringing process would not be germane as long as the substance of the suit patent is copied. The doctrine of equivalence should be applied to examine if the substituted elements in the infringing product does the same work, in substantially the same way, to accomplish the same result. Seen in this light, it is considered if the use of thionyl chloride in the NATCO process is a minor trivial change from the use of sulfonyl chloride, which as a reagent is critical to the novelty and functionality of the suit patent, to infringe the suit patent, applying the doctrine of equivalence. Both advisors agree that thionyl chloride and sulfonyl chloride are different. Because of the aforesaid, NATCO is permitted to launch its product with a caveat that it shall remain bound by the undertaking and assurance given to the court that it will not use a process claimed under Iron 645 or any other process which infringes the suit patent Iron 645. Additionally, NATCO is advised to keep accounts of the sales and shall file the same on an affidavit quarterly in this court. Sterlite Technologies Limited vs HFCL Limited Limited, CS, Com. 1920-22. The suit was filed by Plaintiff Sterlite Technologies Limited, seeking, inter alia, an injunction restraining infringement of Indian patent no. IN335369, IN69 suit patent, relates to optical fiber cables, OFCs. Based on the submissions made by the defendants and further analysis of the prior arts and claims of the suit, the Delhi High Court Prima Facie concluded that the plaintiff is entitled to the interim injunction as there is serious doubt as to the novelty and inventive nature of the suit patent itself. The court also noticed that the defendant is a leading company in the optical fibre business. It is also a listed company. The court also bears in mind that the defendant was permitted to honour certain purchase orders, which were placed on them from various foreign companies, including products covered by the suit patent. These supplies were permitted to be made, despite the operation of the injunction order subject to certain deposits. Even now, the view being taken by this court both on infringement and validity is prima facie in nature and would not bind the trial of the suit post-evidence. Considering these overall facts and circumstances, in the opinion of the court, the ex-party injunction is vacated on specific terms and conditions. Conclusion the Indian patent regime is undergoing a sea change, be it administrative, legislative, or on the enforcement front. On the enforcement front, we are setting up IPDs, akin to IP courts, with specialized benches to adjudicate patent matters catalyzing the development of patent jurisprudence in India. For example, as indicated above, the courts have applied the doctrine of equivalence to patent infringement cases in India for the first time.
Another positive move is to treat all patent infringement suits as commercial suits, meaning that the patent infringement suits have to be dealt with in a time-bound manner. We still need to catch up, but we are catching up fast. Page 24. Advertisement. Most trusted IP law firm in India. Patent and trademark attorneys. L.S. Deva and Company. Established in 1932. New Delhi, Kolkata, Bengaluru. Committed to protecting innovations. Patents. Trademarks. Design. Copyright. Trade secrets. Cyber laws. Media and entertainment plus much more related to IP. Website. www.lsdevar.com. Email. Mail info at lsdevar.in. Telephone. Plus 910332357101020. Fax. Plus 910332357101018. Kolkata. Delhi. Bangalore. Guwahati. Page 25. Article. Satisfying the written description requirement, applying the statute's plain text or additional atextual interpretation. Written by Anshul Bharti, Associate Vice President at Ashma IP, India. Three separate requirements for specification under 35 U.S.C. 112, A or the specification must include a written description of the invention, enablement, and best mode of carrying out the claimed invention. The specification shall contain a written description of the invention and of the manner and process of making and using it in such full, clear, concise, and exact terms as to enable any person skilled in the art to which it pertains or with which it is most nearly connected, to make and use the same. The objective standard for determining compliance with the written description requirement is, does the description clearly allow the person of ordinary skill in the art to recognize that the inventor had possession of the claimed invention at the time of filing? After reading the plain text for the written description requirement, the question here is whether 35 U.S.C. Section 112 requirements are met when the specification describes the invention, or must the specification also disclose data that demonstrates the claimed invention by singling it out and describing it more than once? Is that a new standard for the written description requirement fulfillment? The answer to this is not always, interpretation sometimes varies considering factors like prior arts and obviousness. The U.S. Supreme Court recently, in October 2022, Denied the petition for certiorari for a patent on Biogen's blockbuster multiple sclerosis drug Tecfidera in a dispute with Mylan Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. This turned away Biogen's appeal of a lower court's decision to invalidate the patent in a ruling that helped clear the way for Mylan's generic version of Tecfidera. The challenge to Biogen's patent, US 8399514, was solely on the written description requirement. Looking back to this case, the district court found that the 480 mg dosing is mentioned only once in three examples. Later, a divided panel of the Federal Circuit affirmed that claims for treating multiple sclerosis, MS, by administering 480 mg per day of dimethyl fumarate, DMF, lacked written description, despite each claim element being explicitly recited in the specification. 
the panel majority separately faulted the patent because the DMF-480 dose was listed as part of a wide DMF dosage range. The therapeutically efficacious dose was not listed. One judge dissented and observed that the 514 patent does not demonstrate possession because it lacks clinical efficacy data. Biogen's patent covers its multiple sclerosis drug, Tecfidera. Claims are directed to the method of treating multiple sclerosis with dimethyl or monomethyl fumarate and excipients, amounting to about 480 mg per day. The specification includes a range of effective doses of dimethyl fumarate 480 to 720 mg day. The Federal Circuit ignored the plain text of the statute and precedent. It formulated the new written description requirement, including the need to prove the claimed invention works as described, including the evidence of the efficacy of its claimed method. Despite the fact that each case is differently decided based on specific facts and circumstances, there is a doubt that such rulings neglect the text and purpose of section 112 and break the settled law. Written description means written description, neither more nor less. Indeed, the extended atextual approach imposed by the federal circuit would make it nearly impossible to obtain patent protection for new treatment methods. This decision thus makes the written description requirement inconsistent, creating uncertainty about the information that a patent must disclose to support a claim directed to a method of treatment. Hence, it is a challenge to meet the requirements of the written description in the method of treatment claims. There are several factors to demonstrate what makes the treatment effective, for instance, dosage form, dosage strength, and route of administration. These requirements may lead applicants to delay the filing of an application until sufficient experimental results are available to support the claimed invention. The takeaway lesson here is simple if the application has already been filed and the final efficacious dosage is concluded afterwards, the applicant may file a continuation in part application with clinical phase data. However, there is no set rule for the interpretation of the written description requirements. To illustrate this, let us take another example of a recent decision for United Therapeutics Corporation, UTC, versus Liquidia Therapeutics. In this case, UTC holds NDA for Tyveso, an inhaled solution formulation. US 10,716,793, the 793 patent, relates to a method of administering treprostinol via inhalation involving administering high doses of treprostinol using a metered dose inhaler over a short period. Liquidia submitted NDA for LIQ861, treprostinol, inhalation powder to U.S. Food and Drug Administration for the Treatment of Pulmonary Arterial Hypertension, PAH. Asserted claims are directed to a method of treating pulmonary hypertension comprising administering by inhalation to a human suffering from pulmonary hypertension a therapeutically effective single-event dose of a formulation comprising treprostinol or a pharmaceutically acceptable salt thereof with an inhalation device, wherein the therapeutically effective single-event dose comprises from 15 micrograms to 90 micrograms of treprostinol or a pharmaceutically acceptable salt thereof. Delivered in one to three breaths. There were other arguments, however, here we will discuss only the written description requirement. Liquidia argues that the 793 patent does not provide adequate written description support for the claimed dry powder formulation of treprostinol or corresponding DPI, dry powder inhaler, suitable for treating pH patients.
Also, no disclosure is relevant to developing a powder formulation, and no excipients or carrier is disclosed. The 793 patent specification provides the specification. The inhalation device can also be a dry powder inhaler. In such cases, the respiratory drug is inhaled in solid formulation, usually in the form of a powder with a particle size of fewer than 10 micrometers or less than 5 micrometers in diameter. Also, it mentions dosages, 1590G, and the mode and method of treatment, 1 to 3 breaths by inhalation. The court considered the prior art and obviousness relationship in this case. Numerous DPIs were available by 2006, priority date of the 793 patent, and the process for developing dry powder formulations was well known and involved routine techniques. Lactose was the only approved carrier as of 2006, so experimentation was not needed to identify a suitable carrier for powder formulation. Poser would be able to develop a dry powder formulation of treprostinol and a corresponding DPI for the treatment of pH with routine experimentation. The patentee may rely on information that is well known in the art for purposes of meeting the written description requirement. Hence, even after not fully describing the invention's detailed variations, Liquidia failed to prove that claims of the 793 patent are invalid for lack of written description. Conclusion The written description requirement should be carefully considered while drafting a patent application. The applicant needs to describe not only the specific invention he is but all the feasible versions because if one does not describe the variations, those are not considered a part of the invention and will attract competitors to copy without infringing the patent. The description does not mean only mentioning the invention in one place, it should clearly depict the possession of the invention. The drafter should illustrate the invention using a characterization from the broadest possible scope to the greatest detail or specificity possible. This guidance sounds simple enough, but it requires more effort and foresight than expected. Same page. Conference Advertisement. Pharma and Biotech, Patent Litigation Europe. 24th to 25th of January, Amsterdam, Netherlands. Define, shape and create successful patent strategies and mitigate risks. Register now at pharmabiotechpatentlitigation.com. Page 28. Conference Advertisement. 14th GIPC. Ideas. Innovation. IP. Join, hashtag, the celebration of intellect. 14 years, 200 plus sessions, 220 plus speakers, 3,900 plus delegates, 50 plus countries. 18 to 19 February 2023 Goa Marriott Resort and Spa Panji. Goa, India. Global Package. Access to the two-day conference with lunch and gala dinner, access to attendee mobile app 15 days prior to the event, complimentary pass to the reception dinner worth $100. One-year GIPC membership worth $150. Now only $850. For registrations, plus 919070019811 mail at gipc2023.com www.gipcgoa.com The Global IP Matrix magazine is an official media partner for this event. Make sure to visit their exhibition stand if you are attending. Page 29. Segment cover page.
Women's IP World Bite Size. We continue and advance in highlighting women's essential work and contributions in IP, IP law and innovation globally. Sponsored by Dumont, your ideas, our business. www.dumont.mx Dumont is a Mexican IP law firm founded in 1940. They are committed to assisting their clients in the selection, clearance, protection, enforcement, and exploitation of their IP rights and business interests. Dumont are experts on inventions, patents, utility models, and industrial designs, and distinctive signs, trademarks, trade names, commercial signs and appellation of origin and geographical indications. Dumont's practice extends to highly specialized topics such as litigation, copyright, information technology, corporate law and anti-counterfeiting, appraisals of both trademarks and patents in compliance with the Financial Reporting Standards, NIF, by a team of expert lawyers, litigants, and advisors in the various disciplines covered by their area. Dumont's associates stay on top of recent developments in the market and the legal area to provide value-added services while taking their client's commercial situation. Into account, they provide high-quality services that are tailor-made to fit the needs of their clients around the world. Page 30. Advertisement. Dumont. Your ideas. Our business. Your trusted IP advisor in Mexico. Your ideas. Protected. Dumont.mx. Page 31. Article. The Advancement of Women and Other Minorities in IP. Written by Laura Coleda, Managing Partner at Dumont, Mexico. As we have all started traveling to IP conferences again after the pandemic, I've noticed that there is a session, a workshop, etc., about diversity and inclusion in almost all the ones I have attended. It is great to see this, even though we still cannot see the complete result of all this movement towards creating awareness and helping the advancement of minorities. As many of the efforts are focused on a single minority, we have to appreciate that the topic of diversity and inclusion is almost always present. As I understand, those efforts are made to advance a single minority. It is likely that they are focusing to avoid biting more that can be chewed. However, even though we concentrate on one of them, we should always address them all. Also, at least in my country, some minorities are forgotten, meaning there is so little being done for them, mainly people with disabilities of all types, visible or invisible. Moreover, I hope someone addresses this issue in the IP environment, we are still working on women, LGBTQ+, and ethnicity. Studies and research on women's advancement in IP have been made, and the results have told us what we already knew. There is so much still to be done. We understand that the trademark world is becoming a much better scenario for women, in patents, the advancement has yet to be as relevant. It seems that hard science is still a man's turf. I recognize that we hear less about the glass ceiling, even though it is still there, equal pay, or equal opportunities, but there is much more to change. I have recently seen articles and videos of a woman who caught my attention. Katia Echezareta is a young Mexican woman. She is 27, born in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. When she was seven, 
She moved to the United States to later study electrical engineering at UCLA and eventually started working at NASA. Katia was the first Mexican woman to go to space as part of the Blue Origin mission, Humanity's Citizen Astronaut Program, on the New Shepard 21 rocket on June 4, 2022. She has become relevant on social media through Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. As an immigrant, Hispanic, and a woman, Katia has successfully stood out in the competitive world of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. She constantly posts about empowering women and Latin Americans and believes that empowering starts with believing in oneself. However, she has also been very vocal about discrimination, belonging to three different minorities, immigrant, Latin, and women. She was recognized by Women of the Year, Glamour Mexico and Latin America, for the Science Award, and her speech was empowering and hopeful. She explained that while attending college, she was told that she was stealing a man's place, she said that you could not steal something that doesn't belong to anyone else, she stated, going to outer space always belonged to me, she said the same about working on five different missions, including the Perseverance robot, actually in Mars researching for signs of life. She finalized her speech, stating that besides hard work, the only way to achieve goals is by believing in oneself. HTTPS colon double forward slash www dot. Glamour. MX Articulos Katia Chisoretta su empoderador discurso en women of the year en Mexico y Latinoamerica. Katia is the only one who knows how many hardships she had to endure, but she is an example of what many people in our trade want to achieve, that everyone is given the same opportunities. It will depend on how much effort, work, discipline, etc., you put in to achieve your goals, but we need equal opportunities with equal performance evaluations, we need an even floor for everyone, we have to level the tilted floor. I'm sure she had mentors and people trying to help during her career, but I am also sure that someone just saw a talented, hard-working person that deserved the position. This story is important because I agree with her, believing in oneself is the best drive someone can have. Perseverance is as important. Finally, I also believe in helping and cheering female colleagues. A lot has been said about how to help and tackle women's advancement in our profession, and while every single idea is worth exploring, we should push it further whenever possible. Many companies, brand owners, when conducting RFPs, ask about our firm's D&I policies. Many brand owners are working hard to change things and are trying to improve work environments and opportunities. This speaks highly of them and shows their social responsibility. Obviously, this has a consequence, at least in my jurisdiction. Many IP firms that used to have only male partners are promoting women to full partnerships. First, I'm delighted that so many talented, hard-working women are finally being recognized, and second, we must try to avoid it turning into a marketing tool. I may be an overthinker, but sometimes I believe that diversity and inclusion issues have turned into a fashion and a trending topic. Many firms are using it as a marketing tool. Many would think that this is not important because, in the end, it is opening opportunities and creating awareness, and in a way, it is accurate. However, I would rather see a commitment to change the status quo rather than having a fashion emergency to comply with the new rules of the market. I applaud the efforts of all those brand owners that through a vision of social responsibility and appealing to better work environments, are changing the rules.
It is a tremendous task when dealing with numerous jurisdictions that are culturally different. Even though we, IP professionals, perform the same work all over the world, culturally, we are different. Suddenly, leveling the tilted floor is not that easy, and what works in certain jurisdictions doesn't work in others. All ideas and tools are worth exploring, training, teaching, mentoring, even quotas, etc. They are all great at helping to ensure the advancement of women in our field, but we need to do more. We need allies. Believe it or not, many people will help promote women's empowerment. The basic idea that every person has a mother, a sister, and a daughter makes them empathic. It might not be true in certain jurisdictions, but many understand that we are only asking for the same opportunities and that we are 50% of the workforce of a country. If you are in a decision-making position, look for allies in your organization, and explain to them that giving the same opportunities to female lawyers will create many benefits such as a better work environment, discovering talented individuals, healthy competition, different points of view that will positively influence the company's performance. If possible, turn a concern into a policy. In diversity, you find strengths. Find what suits your firm, ask for training, create groups with common interests, and change the dynamics. Help others. I highly recommend reading INTA's The Women's Leadership Initiative Report and Best Practices Toolkit and the multiple articles you can find about the results it showed. One piece of information that startled me was that gender parity will not be achieved for the next 99.5 years. HTTPS colon double forward slash www.inter.org podcast International Women's Day Women's Empowerment in Intellectual Property. We really must work harder. We are speaking of a whole century. Just imagine how the world has changed in the past century, nevertheless, achieving equal opportunities for women is still a pending subject. Think how many rights have been recognized for women regardless of the jurisdiction, in the last century, voting, divorce, patrimony, labor rights, etc. We need to speed things up for future generations. Part of convincing allies is education and training on the subject. The numbers are cold, and when you share them with people, they will most likely be sympathetic. It is not only human and socially responsible but also good for the economy and the development of companies. As we have seen, there are more women each year at law schools, however, women in our line of work in leadership positions are underrepresented. In our field, many women work on the trademark side but much less in patents and litigation. A way to explain it is that it is still a minority of women studying hard sciences and having a technical background, as well as very few possibilities of developing skills to litigate due to a lack of opportunities. Moreover, criminal anti-counterfeiting actions are still a man's turf. So, to wrap up all these ideas, I believe that confidence and self-assurance are traits we have to develop in younger generations. By far, believing in oneself is the best drive someone can have. However, these traits are not something you develop at college or work. We must start educating girls from a very young age to think everything is possible through work, discipline, and perseverance. However, on the other hand, we must level the floor and understand that opportunities, performance, evaluations, etc., must be equal for all people. Mentoring is essential, 
but training in the workplace to tackle bias through knowledge is just as important. Women must help other women and destroy the legend that women who got to the top are not making things easier for younger generations. It is essential to understand that to be a professional that delivers results, you must have work-life balance. We all are agents of change and transformation. We may not change the status quo in our lifetimes, but if we all try to transform the status quo into an equal one, there will be a butterfly effect, and equality will be reached in a shorter period of time. Diversity and inclusion should be a commitment to all of us. Page 34. Advertisement. Krishna and Saurastri Associates LLP. Krishna and Saurastri Associates LLP is a full-service intellectual property and technology law firm focused on rendering business-friendly legal advice. The firm was formed in 1992 and merged with a law practice set up in 1956. Ever since, the firm has been navigating complex intellectual property and techno-legal issues for its diverse client base. To keep pace with the growth of its business and be ever-present for its clients, the firm has about 170 people spread across offices in the major economic centers of Mumbai, New Delhi, Bengaluru, Pune, Ahmedabad and Chennai. The firm represents clients from all major industries and sectors. The firm's team includes specialists with niche expertise and industry experience, which is leveraged to provide clients maximum value from legal counseling. Additionally, most of the firm's professionals have formative degrees in natural sciences, engineering, arts or business, prior to qualifying as lawyers, which is useful while navigating complex intellectual property and techno-legal issues. Over the years, the firm has been ranked among the top-tier Indian intellectual property and technology law firms consistently by leading domestic and international publications. Patents Trademarks and geographical indications Designs Copyrights Mergers and acquisitions, technology transfer, licensing, franchising, joint ventures Litigations and arbitration Plant varieties Biodiversity Competition laws International trade laws Regulatory issues Food, drug and medical device laws Media advertising, broadcasting and information technology laws. Anti-counterfeiting. Customs and border enforcement. Page 35. Article. Guidance on the application and use of class 35 service marks. Written by Ray Zhao, LLM, senior partner, head of the international trademark team, attorney at law and trademark attorney at United and Attorneys at Law, patent. Trademark and copyright, China. The China Intellectual Property Administration, hereinafter referred to as the Knipper, has announced the new guidelines on the application and use of Category 35 service trademarks for reference by relevant market entities. I. Characteristics of Class 35 services Class 35 mainly includes services involving business management, operations, organization and administration of commercial or industrial enterprises, as well as advertising marketing and promotion services. It should be noted that the sale of goods is not considered a service according to the classification requirements. The main purpose of class 35 services is to help others with their business operations or management, business activities or commercial functions of their industrial and commercial enterprises, 
and to provide others with advertising services to the public through various means of communication. The most important feature of this kind of service is that the relevant service is provided for others rather than the relevant behavior for the business needs of the right holder. 2. How to correctly understand service in class 35. Generally speaking, enterprises, which only manufacture or sell their own commodities as their business scope, do not engage in providing other market entities or individuals with advertising services, commercial management assistance and other services. Therefore, they do not need to apply for trademarks in class 35 related services. 1. Advertising related services. It refers to advertising, making advertising or providing advertising services for others' products or services, such as advertising, posting advertising, advertising promotion, advertising film production, outdoor advertising, film advertising, advertising consultation, advertising editing, production and communication, etc. It does not include directly advertising its own products or services or inviting others to advertise, plan, edit, produce or disseminate its own products or services. 2. Business management support related services. It refers to the behavior of helping others with the operation and management of their commercial enterprises, such as business management assistance, business management consulting, business administration assistance, business research, hotel business management, organization of business activities, business evaluation services, business data analysis, market research, consumer research, etc. Daily business management, business analysis, research and investigation for the purpose of carrying out its own business activities or strengthening the management of the enterprise shall not be included. 3. Franchising-related services. It refers to the business management and other services provided for the business activities of others, excluding the franchise activities conducted by the franchisor itself. Franchising is different from the concept of business management of franchising. Franchising refers to the operational activities in which an enterprise with a registered trademark, enterprise logo, patent, proprietary technology and other operating resources licenses its operating resources to other operators in the form of a contract. And the licensee carries out operations under a unified operating mode according to the contract and pays franchise fees to the franchiser. The business management of a franchise refers to the provision of consulting, investigation and other auxiliary services for the franchise manager of the above-mentioned others, with the aim of providing commercial management and additional assistance for the business activities of others. Specifically, it includes four items, business management assistance of the franchise, business management consulting of the franchise, business affairs management of the franchise and business management of the franchise. Typical subjects engaged in franchising services mainly include those who provide business consultation, investigation, management and other services for others' franchising activities. 4. Import and Export Agency Services It means that relevant business entities handle import and export trade for others' commodities by providing professional agency services. It does not include the trading of white goods in the way of sale, nor does it include handling the import and export business of its own products. The typical subject engaged in import and export agency service mainly includes the subject dealing with import and export related business on behalf of others. 5. Sell services to others. It refers to providing specific suggestions, planning, 
consulting and other services to help others increase the sales volume or demand for their commodities or services in the market. It does not include selling its own commodities or services directly to consumers by means of retail or wholesale, nor does it include selling others' commodities or services in order to earn price difference. That is to say, the mere selling of commodities does not belong to the category of selling services for others. The distributor or provider of goods or services is usually the service object. Typical subjects engaged in selling services for others include those who provide specific services for selling other people's goods or services offline or online. When the business activity only sells other people's brand products to earn a certain price difference, the business activity is retail, not marketing services for others. However, suppose in the business activities, in addition to the sale of commodities, there are services such as advertising, commodity display, sales promotion, and other services. In that case, the relevant subject may apply for the registration of trademarks in the corresponding specific services. 6. Provide online marketplace services for buyers and sellers of goods and services. It means that relevant commercial entities provide an online platform for both buyers and sellers, and the goods and services provided by sellers gathered on the platform form a collective market. Buyers can log into the platform to buy the goods or services they need. It does not include setting up online stores and engaging in sales activities. Engaged in providing goods and services to both buyers and sellers. The typical subjects of online market services mainly include e-commerce platforms that provide online trading platforms for buyers and sellers. 7. Retail or wholesale services for pharmaceuticals and medical supplies. It refers to the concentration and classification, except transportation, of drugs, medicinal preparations, health preparations, medical supplies, veterinary drugs, veterinary preparations, and other commodities that require national approval and qualification certificates before they can be sold or wholesale so that customers can see and purchase them. The service refers to the comprehensive convenience service provided for the above special commodities to enter the circulation field, excluding specific commodities such as drugs and medicinal preparations. The typical entity engaged in the retail or wholesale services of drugs and medical supplies mainly includes the entity providing the retail services of medical supplies. Page 37. Article. Ambush Marketing. How did the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 protect itself against this practice? Written by, Arlene Castillo-Sepulveda, founding partner at INNVNTIVA Espacio Legal, Dominican Republic. Whenever there is an opportunity to advertise in relation to an event, brands are attentive to take advantage of it, both through sponsorships and through associated practices that could be considered unfair and are detrimental to the event itself as they threaten investments related to the event, which are essential to celebrate it. The larger the event, the greater the desire to take advantage of the publicity. This is why the protection from these unauthorized advertising practices, together with the creativity of developing laws and regulations that protect the event, must be equally proportional to or greater than the creativity used by companies that are always seeking to take advantage. Advertising campaigns that embark on these methods increase every year. This is a practice in which intellectual property has played an essential role in protecting the interests of the events. What is ambush marketing? What is its history? What are some famous cases? 
And how was the recently held FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 protected? These are some points we will view. Ambush marketing, association marketing, and parasitic advertising, among others, are the names identifying the behavior of a company that does not sponsor an event, which generally has a large number of spectators. Furthermore, taking advantage of the public, without paying the corresponding sponsorship fees, carries out promotions reflecting an association with the event, achieving publicity benefits, which find their main cause in the event itself. This behavior tends to cause confusion in public regarding the identification of the brand as a sponsor of the event. Based on this definition, we can see that in order for what has been called ambush marketing to take place, there must be at least four parts. First, an event with a large number of spectators, usually sports, Olympics, soccer World Cup, cricket World Cup, baseball World Series, musical concerts, etc. Second, a company that organizes the event that is linked by a sponsorship contract to the third party, which is a company that sponsors the event, which can be an official partner. Official provider or licensee, depending on the grade of sponsorship, and fourth, a company, commonly called the ambusher, that without paying the corresponding sponsorship fees, mocks the sponsorship contract and the high fees paid by the sponsor, to achieve the benefits of publicity effects, which constitute the main purpose of sponsorship of the event, but without having paid what it costs. In a broad sense, it is a practice that is neither completely legal nor completely illegal. The importance and interest in its study lie in the intrinsic subjectiveness of these strategies. Ambush marketing is considered an illegal act by its detractors and defenders, it is defined as an aggressive way of competing, very creative but legal. Everything will depend on the circumstances found, the strategies used by the non-sponsors and the legal environment in which they are carried out, it also depends on the perspective from which these practices are observed since, as we will see the interests of the parties play an important role. The author Abram Sauer refers to ambush marketing through the following simile. Imagine you throw a party and invite heaps of brilliant, interesting people. Imagine your roommate fails to help with the planning or the cost. Imagine the night of the party, your deadbeat roomie shows up and claims co-sponsorship. Imagine watching in awe as the freeloader takes credit for your expense and effort. Now imagine that the party just cost you $20 million. Other authors define ambush marketing as Ambush marketing occurs when a brand pays to become the official sponsor of an event, and another brand tries to connect itself to the same event, without paying the sponsorship fee, and without breaking any law. History The Olympic Games of Athens 1896, Paris 1900, St. Louis 1904, London 1908, Stockholm 1912, Antwerp 1920, Paris 1924, Amsterdam 1928, Los Angeles 1932, Berlin 1936, London 1948, Helsinki 1952, Melbourne 1956, Rome 1960, Tokyo 1964, Mexico 1968, Munich 1972, Montreal 1976 and Moscow 1980 all have in common that the budgets that served as the basis to cover their expenses, were provided by the government, that is to say, that before 1984 private companies did not have the opportunity to sponsor the Olympics. In 1984, the Olympic Games were held in Los Angeles. 
This was the first event in which sponsorship was marketed. As a consequence of this, the companies that did not have the opportunity to be sponsors of that event, either because economically it was not possible for them or because the organizers did not choose them, in an attempt to maintain some association with the event, they reduced the effectiveness of the sponsorship by diverting the public's attention to their advertising. The long history of losing sponsorship of the Olympic Games ended at the Los Angeles Games in 1984, where profits of $225 million were made, following the private operating model, without government assistance. Non-sponsoring companies constantly compete with sponsors. If event organizers are interested in ensuring sponsors' investment, they must take appropriate measures to prevent it. Otherwise, we do not see an effective solution through laws such as intellectual property, unfair competition or advertising since, as we will see, non-sponsoring companies are usually careful to avoid violating any laws. Famous Cases In 1984 the Converse brand was the official sponsor of the Olympic Games in Los Angeles, California. While a competitor of the brand, Nike, set up a billboard near the Los Angeles Coliseum, where the event was being presented, the billboard featured the logo of the non-sponsoring brand and several athletes wearing sportswear. In 1994, a credit card company, American Express, which was not an official sponsor of the Olympic Games, used aerial advertising over the venue where the Winter Olympic Games were being presented. It displayed a message, to attend the Olympic Games in Norway, Americans need a passport, but they don't need a visa. This double meaning created an allusion to the credit card brand which sponsored the event. In 2004, the Coas Beer brand paid 13 million US dollars to be recognized as the beer of the National Football League, NFL. They placed a billboard next to a train station in Houston, proudly displaying the brand along with the NFL logo and a countdown of the days until the event. Directly opposite the billboard, a beer company, not a sponsor, displayed the phrase our big parties, our beers. Neither the official sponsors nor the organizers of the events of the aforementioned cases carried out legal action against the ambushers. These are some of the many cases that have occurred worldwide on the occasion of significant events that are mostly sporting. We can distinguish in them a bipartite union, how, on the one hand, elements of intellectual property are mixed and, on the other hand, elements of competition law both elements based on the economic interests of the sponsors and the interest of benefiting from those who did not pay sponsorship fees. The intellectual rights of the official sponsors and, above all, the organizers of the events may be affected when a third party uses advertising to benefit from the reputation of a specific event, which is the result of the effort and work of the organizers. For this reason, the tactics to protect the investment of the event organizers and sponsors have been refined. Strategies used by ambushers. If a popular event is sponsored, we will likely find companies competing with the sponsors, profiting from the event in any way. The main characteristic of these strategies is creativity. Ambush marketing can be accomplished in several ways. One commonly used is the purchase of advertising time before, during, and after the event broadcast. Another way is by placing fences near the event, also, use planes that carry signs with messages. An example of this strategy is the case of the Winter Olympic Games in Norway, where American Express alluded to the Visa brand. Any of these techniques can be combined with the use of imaginary words in advertising, which remind people of the event and thus associate it. 
Another tactic is to give away merchandise at or near the event, such as t-shirts or caps. In this way, the spectators caught by the television cameras become walking announcers. At the Atlanta Olympic Games in 1996, Nike gave away caps with its logo at the entrances to the stadium, while Reebok was the sponsor of the event. FIFA Qatar 2022 The Soccer World Cup was recently held in Qatar, and to protect against ambush marketing, these were some of the measures used. Advertising guidance, to help brands with their advertising and marketing campaigns, FIFA provided a wealth of resources, including guidance on how non-sponsors could participate in tournament marketing activities without creating an unauthorized association with FIFA's intellectual property. Intellectual property rights, FIFA owns trademark registrations such as FIFA World Cup, World Cup and Qatar 2022, the FIFA World Cup trophy, the official emblem, and the official mascot. They also own a wide variety of FIFA's intangible assets protected globally by trademark registrations, copyrights, and other forms of intellectual property protection. The trademarks were reserved only for FIFA and official rights holders, so brands had to avoid using them. Images of matches and official songs should not be used without permission. Local legislation, in anticipation of the World Cup, Qatar passed law no. 10 of 2021 which includes regulations that protect the intellectual property rights of FIFA and its official partners and rights to broadcast matches. The legislation also establishes sanctions for those who infringe on those rights. Between November 10 and December 23, 2022, only sponsors could advertise or conduct business in any controlled business area. The controlled trade area referred to two kilometers around the tournament venues and the team hotels and training grounds. Activities such as contests or ticket giveaways should be avoided because they were reserved for sponsors. It was advised to always clarify the brand's relationship with the championship, avoiding misleading consumers into believing that they are official sponsors if they are not. Just as creativity, technology and advertising campaigns are constantly evolving, so should the ability to protect the rights associated with events. New ways of advertising will always emerge and must be accompanied by the commitment to develop legal strategies so that these activities can be carried out without violating the rights of third parties, avoiding unfair competition. Page 40. Advertisements. Vacnina and Partners. Patents Utility Models, Designs, Trademarks. Contact in Russia. IP at vacnina.ru. Contact in Armenia. Office at vacnina.am. Adverts number two, same page. Conference advertisement. WLA 2023 Dubai. The power of new thinking. Global Intellectual Property Forum. Empowering the global IP ecosystem. 26 to the 27th of April 2023. Hotel Crown Plaza, Sheikh Zayed Road, Dubai, UAE. Contact plus 918505999819 or email. Contact at worldalliance.com. Page 41. Article. The new law. The UAE continues to enhance the safety of the IP environment. Written by Jihad Ol Hassan, CEO at Jar Intellectual Property, Doha, Qatar. 
The United Arab Emirates has enacted the largest legislative reform in its history with over 40 different statutes and amendments in 2021 to coincide with the 50th anniversary of its founding. The Emirates have one common, federal, trademark law which covers the seven Emirates of Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, Ras al Khaimah, Ajman, Fujairah, and Amalquain. The new laws on trademark law, i.e., the federal decree law, 36 2021, in replacement of federal law no. 37 of 1992 as amended in its entirety and came into force, followed by the implementing regulations, cabinet decision no. 57 2022, regulations, issued on June 7, 2022. This is right at the heel of the UAE joining the Madrid Agreement, as of September 28, 2021 which entered into force on December 28, 2021. The following is a summary of executive regulations of the federal decree law as published by the Ministry of Economy in the new trademark law. The regulation adds new categories of innovative trademarks, most notably smells, sounds, and hologram technology. The regulation adds a provision to protect geographic indicators which were not mentioned in the legislation and clarifies the following. The trademark owner can apply for protection of a geographic indicator outside the country after presenting the geographic indicator's registration certificate from the source country. Those who wish to apply for international registration of their brands must register them in the UAE first and then submit an international application. The law offers protection in the country only to brands registered in the UAE. Those who wish to receive international protection for their brand must register by applying in accordance with the protocol relating to the Madrid Protocol or by applying directly to the desired country if it is not a member of this agreement. Regarding applications for trademark registration, the regulation clarifies the following. It is possible to submit one application for multiple categories in addition to submitting multiple applications for the same license for individuals and companies. Deposit Publication and registration fees double based on the number of categories that were applied for, and there is no maximum limit for required categories. Raises fines to AED 1 million in order to put a stop to trademark infringement. The regulation will ensure that trademark registration procedures are not halted if the objections committee accepts any grievance submitted against it, adhering to the highest standards of transparency and justice. Extends the renewal period with an AED 1500 fine from 3 to 6 months. It makes it possible to renew after the completion of a 6-month protection period with an AED 1000 fine. The protection period cannot be renewed 6 months after it ends, and it will be required to submit the deposit again. The regulation sets a 90 days maximum limit for the issuance of the technical inspection results deciding to accept, reject, or conditionally suspend the trademark. It also states that payment must be made within 30 days of the date of trademark acceptance in terms of publication or final registration, and fines will be imposed if this period is exceeded. The regulation authorizes the submission of a trademark cancellation request in accordance with Article 24 of Federal Decree Law No. 36, of 2021 regarding trademarks. Source Moic UAE. We briefly discuss below some of the executive regulations listed above and their practical implication for the ease of understanding to right holders. The new law has included some non-traditional forms of trademarks in its definition but similar to the old law.
The types mentioned are not comprehensive but affirm that non-traditional trademarks are offered protection. Accordingly, non-conventional three-dimensional forms, three-dimensional form of a good or its packaging and any combination of the mentioned signs, holograms, hologram technology, sound marks such as musical tones distinguishing a brand or a company and olfactory, smell, trademarks such as distinctive odor smell for a product or a company can be protected. Geographical indication, GI, is a recent addition to United Arab Emirates IP regulation, UAE, these weren't previously regulated. The new law defines these as any indication that a good originates in the territory of a WTO member nation or a region, location, or place in that region if the good's quality, reputation, or other characteristics are primarily attributable to its geographic origin. The benefits of joining the Madrid system are many and already well accepted by all, here, with regards to foreign applicants, the practical gain is avoiding the need for a consulate legalized and Ministry of Foreign Affairs superlegalized power of attorney. As per the existing system, powers of attorney legalized at the UAE consulates abroad must be superlegalized at the UAE Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Also, powers of attorneys executed in foreign countries, non-Arab, and priority documents must be translated into Arabic by a local certified translator. In practice, it is allowed to file new trademark applications and obtain the filing number and date with the official receipt confirming the filing particulars of the trademark without a copy of or original POA. The legalized POA sufficing local attestation and sworn Arabic translation can be submitted within 90 days from the date of filing, which is not strictly applied. That said, the brief only refers to the regulations under the Madrid Protocol without further guidelines from the UAE Trademark Office, TMO. The TMO has assured all that such guidelines will be published by the beginning of next year, which will shed more light on issues related to IRS. The UAE Trademark Office will now let applicants submit a single application for multiple classes of trademarks, which was not possible earlier. Before now, the law only applied to single-class applications, however, the new law states and the TMO have confirmed that official registration fees shall still be charged per class. As for now, the official portal does not allow the submission of multiple-class applications, and we expect this to be remedied soon. It is expected that in the future, this will be beneficial when effecting renewals and recordals in terms of the cost, as there was no mention of costs for additional classes. The power to transfer ownership during the assignment of pending applications is now granted under the new trademark law. Prior to now, the practice did not permit the assignment of applications that were still pending, instead, the assignment was only permitted after full registration of the marks. In this vein, the recordal is no longer a barrier for parties that are licensee and licensor to rely on such connection against parties under the new trademark law. This will be beneficial for brand owners, in particular those who want to protect their trademark rights over a mark being used by a licensed third party. As per the new law, the Grievance Committee was established within the Ministry, which resulted in the introduction of a statutory requirement to include a judge on the aforementioned committee. All complaints about decisions made by the Trademarks Office will be heard by the committee. The Federal Appeal Court will hear appeals of the committee's judgment and no longer the court of first instance, saving and cost of the dispute resolution procedure. It now just takes 30 days to file an appeal instead of the previous 60 days.
This modification to the appeals limitation will speed up procedures and reduce pointless litigation. Furthermore, TMO will now accept cancellation actions instead of the courts, making this an administrative procedure expediting the procedure with a reduction in costs. The criteria for determining whether a trademark is well-known has been made clearer under the new trademark law and now include the following. a. The degree to which it is known to the relevant public as a result of its promotion. b. The duration of its registration and use. c. The number of countries in which it is registered or well-known. d. Its value. or e. The degree to which it has an impact on the promotion of goods or services that use the well-known trade. The new trademark law allows trademark owners to request provisional measures against an ongoing or imminent infringement and also gives customs the authority to seize imported goods that violate trademark rights. The new trademark law makes this point very clear and helps owners of temporary marks register their marks and engage in temporary events and exhibitions without restriction. Since the United Arab Emirates, UAE, serves as a focal point for these kinds of year-round events and activities for all industries. The United Arab Emirates UAE trademark now offers a service that allows overseas participants to reduce their risks, register their marks temporarily, and enter such venues independent of any pre-existing rights. The penalties for violating trademark rights have been raised by the new trademark law. The punishment for copyright infringement has risen from AED 10,000 to AED 50,000 to a maximum of AED 50,000 to AED 100,000, as stated in Article 39, which speaks particularly about this. The following new, more severe penalties are also introduced by Article 40. a. Producing or importing counterfeit works. b. Interfering with or damaging electronic data intended to manage copyrights. and c. Downloading or storing computer programs. The above-mentioned offences now carry a minimum sentence of six months in jail and or a fine between AED 100,000 and AED 700,000, as opposed to the previous minimum sentence of three months in jail and a fine of between AED 50,000 and AED 500,000. It should be noted that repeat offenders will now face harsher punishments. Prior to the new amendment, the trademark law required the publishing of approved trademark renewals and recordals of assignments in local newspapers. However, this requirement is no longer in effect. Only a publication in the official gazette, which is controlled and published by the UAE Ministry of Economy, is necessary for the new arrangement. Whilst issuing the executive regulation of federal law no. 36 of 2021 concerning trademarks under the Cabinet Resolution No. 57 of 2022, H.E. Abdulaziz Al-Nuaymi stated that the UAE has been exerting significant efforts in promoting the system of intellectual property, IP, and copyrights, with trademarks as a key pillar. He also elaborated that the regulation reflects an exceptional integration of efforts between the ministry and its local and federal partners, as well as global entities concerned with the IP sector. H.E. Al-Nuaymi added, the federal law no. 36 of 2021 concerning trademarks is a new legislative step towards enhancing IP protection in the UAE. The law establishes major rules for trademark owners within a barrier-free environment that promotes creativity and innovation. It guarantees the growth and prosperity of their businesses and meets the aspirations of the country to transition into a sustainable, leading global economy based on knowledge. Source K Liege Times
To conclude, the inclusion of the new elements in the revised UAE trademark legislation provides more clarity on a number of issues to align the trademarks office with internationally recognized trademark laws and practices. Essential steps have been taken to simplify procedures, strengthen trademark protection and enforceability as well as streamline its operations by clearing up any ambiguity. Page 44. Advertisement. IP. The world's leading non-profit association dedicated to the development and improvement of laws for the protection of intellectual property. Advancing IP since 1897. www.aippi.org. Join AIPPI. AIPPI is a politically neutral, non-profit organization, based in Switzerland with over 8,000 members worldwide from 131 countries. Become a member too. Be part of the making of the AIPPI's resolutions. Benefit from the expertise of 25 standing committees. Network with leading IP specialists. Attend the annual AIPPI World Congress. Join at www.aippi.org. Page 45. New segment. Empowering the future of IP in Anguilla and the Caribbean. Sponsored by Complete Intellectual Property Services, Keisha Fleming Lake PLLC. Keisha Fleming Lake is an experienced IP attorney who has provided legal services to clients for over 20 years. Keisha started her legal career in the United States as an associate attorney for a major law firm, where she provided legal advice to Fortune 500 companies. Keisha returned to law school and completed Caribbean legal studies at the Eugene Dupont Law School in the Bahamas, where she obtained her legal education certificate. Following this accomplishment, she practiced law in Anguilla, thereby developing her skills and understanding of the Caribbean region's legal system. With her academic achievements, legal certifications, career advancement and extensive experience, in practicing law both in the Caribbean and the United States, Keisha is skilled in navigating all aspects of intellectual property law. Her understanding of the legal system in the Caribbean has positioned her to develop the expertise necessary to build and continually expand her practice in the region, with a footprint covering the Caribbean region in over 29 jurisdictions servicing clients in English, Spanish, and French. Keisha is known and respected among her peers for her diverse knowledge and skills in her primary practice areas. She is a registered attorney in the United States, Michigan, Florida, and Missouri, as well as in the Caribbean, Anguilla, Antigua, and Barbuda, and St. Kitts and Nevis. Keisha has focused her practice on specializing in both intellectual property and corporate law matters. Keisha Fleming Lake PLLC. Keisha at CompleteIPServices.com. www.CompleteIPServices.com. Page 46. Advertisement. Complete Intellectual Property Services. Keisha Fleming Lake, PLLC. www.CompleteIPServices.com. 
Complete Intellectual Property Services is a boutique IP law firm specializing in an extensive range of destination intellectual property legal services in the Caribbean region. Complete Intellectual Property Services, Florida. 110 Front Street. Suite 300. Jupiter, Florida 33477. United States of America. Info at completeipservices.com. 56176950091. Complete Intellectual Property Services, Anguilla. Calvin W. Lake Commercial Building. Suite 10. The Valley, Anguilla. AI 2640. Info at completeipservices.com. 26447612540. With a compass as our logo, we conveniently navigate our clients through the Caribbean region on intellectual property law matters. Page 47. Article. Anti-counterfeiting measures in the Caribbean. Written by Keisha Fleming Lake, Managing Attorney at Complete Intellectual Property Services, Anguilla. The issue of importation, sale and widespread distribution of counterfeit goods is of concern for the entire world, and the Caribbean is no exception. Although not every island in the Caribbean jurisdiction is a known destination for counterfeit goods, the close geographical proximity between the island nations and territories and the improvements in shipping and transportation between the individual island markets make the counterfeit issue a serious concern for the region overall. This is particularly true since, for the most part, the islands are heavily imported and consumption-oriented, with limited domestic production. Furthermore, the islands have only limited resources available to them to protect their citizens, residents and visitors from the dangers posed by counterfeit medicines and other unsafe goods. There is also the potential for substantial economic loss in the communities resulting from imports of lower-value counterfeit goods at the higher prices meant for genuine articles. Furthermore, unwitting businesses, playing a key role in their respective islands' economies and already having to compete in relatively small markets or low-income environments, may find themselves suffering seizure of counterfeit inventory that they unknowingly imported and the cost of which they can ill afford to lose. These businesses may also find themselves embroiled in litigation with the potential to drive them out of business with attendant economic loss and social disruption. Traveling from island to island makes for ease of transfer of counterfeit products from one island to another. The main types of counterfeit goods that enter the region include apparel, clothing, bags, shoes, liquor, cigarettes, pharmaceutical products, cosmetics, electronics, phone accessories, DVDs, CDS, perfumes, and jewelry. These goods are being imported into the region for sale online, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp and in storefronts for retail, as well as wholesale for further distribution into the respective communities. Copying of copyrighted works in some jurisdictions where music, paintings, or artwork and recordings are copyrighted, mainly in CD and DVD media, is not unusual or infrequent. The supply of counterfeit computer software is also known to exist, though on a minor scale. The quantity of counterfeit goods varies depending on the port of importation, with direct shipping access from Europe and the Asian market being key factors. Larger island nations within the region, such as Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, and the Dominican Republic, and regionally significant air and sea hubs, such as St. Martin and Curaçao, 
see a much larger importation of counterfeit goods. These islands may not have the policing and detection resources available to the key regional United States hub of Puerto Rico. Smaller islands see fewer counterfeit products entering the market but must be equally vigilant and concerned enough to have in place anti-counterfeit measures, including competent policing operating within a strong legislative framework. The distribution and consumption of counterfeit goods should be a concern for the region as this practice can have serious health and safety implications on the small communities that can be significantly affected, with even a small quantity of counterfeit products entering the fragile communities. There is a need for a more specific legislative approach. Most Caribbean islands lack the effective legislation necessary to combat the importation of counterfeit goods into the region effectively. While some islands have taken recent steps to strengthen their laws to enable more effective action against major importation of counterfeit items, others still lack the legal framework necessary to cost-effectively prosecute efforts to prevent or stem the flow of counterfeit goods into their markets. In the Caribbean, there is not a consistent blanket approach to combat the importation of counterfeit goods to the region. Some jurisdictions have passed specific anti-counterfeit legislation to address the issue. In contrast, others rely on their trademarks and customs legislation and the provisions included in those pieces of legislation that are designed to protect registered trademarks from infringement. In Anguilla for example, anti-counterfeit measures are covered in the Local Trademarks Act and the Customs Act. Authority is given to the controller of customs to seize all counterfeit goods. Under the Customs Act, any goods seized may be destroyed. The Trademarks Act R.S.A. C.T. 30 grants power to the controller of customs to retain counterfeit and pirated goods upon their arrival in Anguilla. Other island nations and territories, including St. Lucia and the Cayman Islands, also have similar provisions in their trademarks legislation. Some countries, including Jamaica, have legislation in place where a trademark proprietor may start civil proceedings against an infringer, and the prosecutor can bring criminal action. Therefore, both criminal and civil proceedings are available according to the legislation that is in place. Trinidad and Tobago has implemented stronger anti-counterfeit provisions in its recently enacted legislation strengthening border enforcement measures to combat the importation of counterfeit goods. On the other hand, Turks and Caicos have a much less formal legislative approach. Challenges to the enforcement of anti-counterfeiting measures the lack of adequate legislation is just one obstacle within the Caribbean jurisdiction for effective implementation of anti-counterfeit measures. Brand owners, trademark practitioners, border enforcement officers and police officers all share similar challenges that come about from the growth and advancement in manufacturing technology, the improvement in shipment and packaging of goods arriving into the region, and the lack of training of the personnel who are the enforcers on the front line. Counterfeiters are becoming increasingly sophisticated in the production of counterfeit goods. The ability to detect a product that is fake requires a trained eye, experience, and help from brand owners. Counterfeit products are being produced with similar quality to the original product, a similar look to the original product or, in some cases, exactly like the same product to the point that determining if the product is fake is sometimes only possible with some other identifying mechanism. Brand owners must be directly involved and have distinguishing characteristics in place. The burden is on the brand owner to communicate the distinguishing characteristics of the authentic genuine goods to enforcement officers. 
In some instances, depending on the quality of the fake products and the impact on the brand, brand owners must invest financial resources in the seizure operation to ensure that it is effective before the fake product reaches the market. Funding for training is limited in most jurisdictions. Training of customs officers is especially important and necessary as the actions of counterfeiters are becoming more sophisticated due to technology and the growth of the counterfeit goods trade. Anti-counterfeiting efforts in the Caribbean are stifled by the lack of funding to train personnel adequately and the absence of technology policing to address online purchases. Anti-counterfeit measures are not a priority of many government entities in the Caribbean region. Many agencies do not allocate the funding needed to train customs agents or establish a formal means to address counterfeiting on an ongoing basis. Therefore, the burden is on the proprietor of the mark to register the mark and then follow the legislative procedures in place to address counterfeiting. Cultural Implications on Anti-Counterfeit Measures In the Caribbean region, culture plays a significant part in the successful importation and distribution of goods in the communities. The culture is such that the demand for brand name goods, especially clothes, shoes, bags and cosmetics, is very high, especially among the younger population. This demand creates a market for infringing goods similar in look and quality that can enter the market for a much cheaper price. Consumers are minded to pay far less for a product that is fake if there is enough similarity to the authentic product for it to be mistaken as an authentic article. Knowing this, Small retail store owners welcome the opportunity to sell the product in smaller quantities over a longer period of time. This may be more prevalent in the smaller islands with smaller populations. Importing and selling smaller quantities of counterfeit goods presents a challenge for the local enforcers to engage the support of brand owners who may not want to invest financial resources to seize and destroy smaller quantities of counterfeit goods. Therefore, the existing legislation must be put to work, especially in jurisdictions where smaller quantities may be more prevalent. In Anguilla, for example, under Section 40 of the Trademark Act, local authorities can assist with anti-counterfeit measures that can result in the seizure of smaller quantities of counterfeit goods, should the need arise. Seizure would be most effective at the border before the products enter the retail market. Efforts by brand owners to provide notice to the controller of customs related to the protected trademark and possible importation of counterfeit goods would have a positive impact. The controller along with the trademark registrar may act using the information provided. Need for additional measures to support the legislative framework. The enactment of anti-counterfeiting legislation in the Caribbean alone is not sufficient. While it is a very important step in combating the increasingly sophisticated counterfeit goods trade, legislation must be supported by other measures, including purposeful and competent enforcement, in order to be effective. This is especially needed in smaller islands where resources are limited, and the importation may be in relatively small quantities at a time such that law enforcement may otherwise perceive the issue as being of low priority for them in the face of other more pressing societal challenges. For example, the implementation of formal procedures for trademark owners to register their marks for border enforcement against counterfeit goods could help the Customs and Border Patrol more easily identify counterfeit goods. A system of periodic surveys in the market would help local enforcement personnel identify which counterfeit items are more present or prevalent in the community. Local enforcement authorities and brand owners must coordinate efforts in a number of ways, 
especially during the enforcement of seizure orders. Adequate resources must go towards training and strengthening the framework of customs. Furthermore, trademark registration is an important factor in enforcement and in identifying genuine goods. Page 50. Conference Advertisement. INTA 2023 Annual Meeting Live Plus. May 16 to 20, 2023. Singapore. Virtual, June 27 to 29, 2023. Join us for the IP event of the year. In person, May 16 to 20, 2023. Singapore. Virtual, June 27 to 29, 2023. Registration opens on January 11, 2023. Focus on the business of innovation. Dynamic educational content. Engaging networking sessions. Professional development opportunities. www.inta.org forward slash 2023am. Page 52. Article. The Conference Corner Segment. Global IP Matrix Interview with INTA CEO Etienne Sons de Acedo. We recently had the pleasure of sitting with the International Trademark Association, INTA, SCEO Etienne Sons de Acedo to talk about the upcoming 2023 Annual Meeting Live Plus, taking place in Singapore from May 16th to 20th and virtually from June 27th to 29th. The excitement around the IP community's largest annual gathering is already growing. With registration officially opening in January, Mr. Sons de Acedo provides us with a preview of the meeting, some insight into how this meeting will be different, and his expectations for the association's second annual meeting in Asia. The global IP community was gearing up for a Singapore annual meeting Live Plus in early 2020 before the pandemic forced INTA to change course. We're now back on for Singapore next year. What, in your view, has changed over the past few years for the IP community, and how will this be reflected at the 2023 annual meeting? Many of the biggest changes for our community are the same ones that have affected societies worldwide. Put simply, the three major changes have been the COVID-19 pandemic, the war in Ukraine, and, coupled with and as a consequence of that, the recession. These factors have affected markets globally and, of course, had an impact on the mood of our members. It has impacted the business of conferences, which, therefore, has a tremendous impact on the IP community. As we all know, the IP community relies heavily on in-person contact. Now, the good thing about where we stand today is COVID-19 seems, little by little, to be behind us, even with the variations of viruses that are appearing. That's number one. Number two, while we're in the middle of the recession, it seems that, incrementally, inflation will start to slow down and then even decrease. From an international perspective, this all adds to what we saw at our recent leadership meeting in Miami, people are returning to in-person gatherings and meetings. Let's talk about Singapore, you were in the city just a few months ago for IP week. What did you take away from that visit? as you think ahead to our community arriving there next May for the annual meeting. Singapore and Asia, in general, is a booming region when it comes to IP. 70% of global patent filings are coming from Asia, so it's the place to be when promoting IP and looking to expand understanding and awareness. 
In addition, Singapore is a unique venue for an annual meeting from all perspectives. Among the many things we like about Singapore is that they're very strategic regarding IP. They're really looking to the future of IP, particularly the intangible assets. The educational program is themed around the business of innovation with two tracks, an IP, an innovation track and a business track. What can you tell us at this stage about the program? The IP and innovation track is about looking at IP from a broad perspective, something we've always done, including trademarks and copyright, designs, etc. Given how patent-intensive Asia is, we need to speak the language of businesses, and businesses are not talking about IP. They're talking about innovation. They're talking about revenue streams and maximizing revenue. That's the language we need to speak so that the program will reflect this. So, within the IP and innovation track, you will find what has always been available at our annual meeting. Members will have their CLE credit sessions, just as in the past, but now with a stronger focus on future-related matters. For the business track, we want to really look at the interaction between investors and businesses. We want to look at intangible assets. We want to make looking into IP an essential part of the equation when investors are deciding to invest in a company. We also want to look into the financial value of IP, and we want to look into how to ensure your IP portfolio. These are the topics we should and will be talking about more. As you've mentioned, the Asian region is responsible for 70% of all patent filings. How will traditional participants of your annual meeting benefit from having more focus on patents and patent professionals at the annual meeting? We've always had patent professionals attending our annual meeting. In fact, we've been organizing patent professionals' receptions for many years. And, over these years, we've seen around 1,000 or 1,500 patent attorneys and patent professionals attend the annual meeting to network, meet old friends, and make new friends. While that was already in place, going to Asia is an opportunity to reach an even larger audience from this patent-intense region of the world. But further to this, when you think about businesses and companies today, the boundaries between trademarks, patents, and enforcement matters are not as distinct as they once were. In fact, we see more frequently a trend that those three areas are reporting to the same chief IP officer. This suggests that there is merit in knowing that while those rights are different from a legal perspective, when it comes to strategy, it makes sense to start talking about these things a little more together. Again, the educational program will cover the regular IP topics, trademark, designs, copyright, data privacy, etc. What we're doing this time is adding a little more patent-related content, as well as content covering trade secrets that should be beneficial for patent professionals and all registrants. Even if you might not be developing your career in the patent field, you still need to know the issues at stake. That's what our programming will provide. This is an annual meeting Live Plus with a virtual event taking place in June. What is the rationale behind the delayed virtual portion of the meeting? And, given the small price differential, why should registrants sign up for both in-person and virtual meetings? There is a significant gap of almost a month between the in-person and virtual events. The idea is to allow all those who attended the in-person meeting to return home and to the office and recuperate from the annual meeting madness. And then, a few weeks later, they go back into a virtual environment where they will see some of the same people and a lot of new faces. 
Regarding education, the topics will be the same, but the sessions will be different. In Singapore, you will be in person, focus on networking, and look for new business, representatives from many new companies, especially from Asia, will attend. Of course, you can participate in educational sessions, but if your schedule is full, you can look ahead to June to catch up on the education and continue networking. There are already over 1,100 registrants signed up for the 2023 annual meeting, many of whom took advantage of the flash sale that INTA offered through October and during the recent leadership meeting. What do these numbers signify to you in terms of interest in the meeting? And what are your expectations for attendance in Singapore? Despite the world situation and the recession, we have great expectations regarding our annual meeting attendance. Of course, we're not expecting 11,000 plus registrants as we had in Boston in 2019, but it's realistic to think about 7,000 or 8,000 registrants. We will see massive participation from Asia, with significant participation from India. I think we'll have stable participation from Europe, if not an increase, from North America, we will still see the same companies and firms, but perhaps they will be sending fewer representatives because of the economic environment in which we're living. As a regional hub, Singapore is also a good location for registrants from Africa and the Middle East. And, on a recent delegation to Latin America, we were pleased to see strong interest there too. Overall, we're quite optimistic about the annual meeting. Now, what do those 1,100 pre-registrants tell us? They tell us that there is a strong appetite to go to Singapore and attend the annual meeting. In fact, out of those 1,100, 584 registered a year in advance at the Washington, D.C. annual meeting. And that number is almost exactly the same pre-registration number we had the year before the outstandingly well-attended meeting in Boston, our most successful annual meeting to date. Now, there is another piece of information that is interesting. We have already received 250 volunteer requests for table topics, which is a record number. We've never had so many requests to moderate table topics, and we see this as a definite indicator that people want to be in Singapore and they want to network. You have visited Singapore several times. What excites you personally about Singapore as the host city for the association's second annual meeting in Asia? First, it's an extremely welcoming city. It's incredibly well-organized, safe, and clean, and for those who enjoy food, it's definitely a place you'll want to visit. For those who have never been to Asia, it's a perfect first-time destination. English is widely spoken, and, generally, you get both the Asian flavor as well as some Western flavor. Everyone will feel extremely comfortable and welcome in Singapore. Fantastic, thank you for speaking with us. Page 56. Outside back cover advertisement. The last page. Patent seekers, the global IP searchers. Specialist global search services for patent attorneys, universities, technology companies, and SMEs. Services. Patentability novelty search. Infringement FTO clearance. Invalidity patent busting. State of the art. Patent mapping landscapes. Patent monitoring. Patent status. Competitor analysis. Head office. 
Newport, UK. Telephone number, plus 4401633816601. Email, mail at patentseekers.com. North America office. Toronto, Canada. Telephone number plus 1416-847-7309. Email, na at patentseekers.com. Website, www.patentseekers.com. You have been listening to the Global IP Matrix magazine, published by Northerns Media PR and Marketing Limited from the United Kingdom. If you would like to share your knowledge of the IP industry or expose your business and services to the global IP community, don't hesitate to contact us at email info at gipmatrix.com or call plus 4402038130457.